Okay, so I think we're live. I don't even remember what buttons to push now. So I think we're good. How come that screen is on then? Because I could do this. Oh, that's right. That's what else I do. (laughs) 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 Oh, man. (laughs) Well, I'm sorry. We've had to miss so many of these lately. It's ridiculous. It's going to be great to do week after week after week after week. You know, we we will miss two weeks, but only two weeks. It, when we're near that usually doesn't happen. It was just that we had we took a, a late vacation this year. Took a late vacation, and then we had COVID. Did we miss class because of COVID? Yes. Did we? Yeah, I'm pretty sure we did. You don't hmm. think so? Maybe no, not. Well, I think not. I think okay. we we were still okay. One day was Labor Day, and we went. Then we went out to Staten Island last yes. weekend. Yeah. So yes, there so. we go. But we're back now. So next time we'll, we we will miss any will be when we take this big israel trip that's coming up and, and we'll be two, two and we're only going to miss two weeks because we are actually coming back a little bit early at the trip as soon as we can so we're going to fly back on sunday so we can have monday class now we're not 100 percent sure if we'll be awake when class is happening. oh is that a requirement because <laughs> <laughs> we'll have that eight or nine hour um time difference but i know scott very much wants to have the class and yeah. and um we probably won't be able to sleep anyway that always happens yeah i have so, to think through that yeah. so let's see coming this direction is easy to get up early so we'll probably have dinner at here at our house and then have class at three o'clock in the afternoon or something <laughs> we'll be going to bed at six so anyway hey it's just great to have it everybody is. here great everybody um, be there with us. I think I've got the, the camera pretty well set up. It's crazy, you know. I guess it's just age, and I can't. I, I wasn't even sure what I was supposed to be doing today. But you, will, look, well, you look fabulous. Well, you're, you're very nice. <laughs> Truly, Scott has been so busy with oh, so many gosh. things. And I got to tell you I will guys, admit it. I have if been. you are in a small group and you get to watch <laughs> the Scott and Lauren in the car for the next six weeks... Um, yes, I'm his wife and I adore him and Lauren. I love Lauren, but I had to watch all six today, which was like over an hour. I think it is so funny. And yet there's so much great information packed in all together. And then on top of that, you are taking 90 people to Israel and that's taken up a wee bit of time. A wee bit of time. Just a so, wee bit. But it's going to be a wonderful trip it and is. I'm going to send a link out this week to my big email list with the link to the car paul the paul connection group videos that lauren and i made in her car <laughs> one day so you know so, it's not normally of course car pool it, it really came from that what's that a james corden show carpool yes. karaoke yes then it became carpool theology the, and then Crichton suggested what about car paul theology which is just so funny yeah, Creighton's kind of young to be making an, a dad joke, but that's kind of what it was. Uh, he's yeah. so yeah, sweet he and is. wonderful. So, hey, and today we're in Isaiah 60. Wow. So this is, we are really in the good stuff now. So it's going to be good, and there we go. So. Glad. Thank you, Linda. Linda put up there that everything looks and sounds good. <laughs> we're always happy for that. <laughs> sure are, because sometimes I may make us a little bit less colorful. I don't know. I looked like my head was going to explode. No, we, we look so healthy, like we've been sitting yeah. in the sun. Yeah, healthy. Yeah. That's it. Anyway. I'll dial up the tan and dial down the wrinkles and the whole thing. What do you think? 
<laughs> you know, you can't actually dial down the wrinkles. You just you know do it a lower. Can't. Sure, you do it a lower resolution. Wow, you never told me. That I haven't before. picked. A, this is not the highest I could do. The highest resolution I could do for that very reason. Okay, alrighty. <laughs> Shall we pray in all our silliness? We should. Okay, we should. great. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we are grateful to be back here today, online with all of our online buddies to study Isaiah, and um, we just pray, as we do every time we gather, that your Holy Spirit will fill us with some energy and bring questions to our minds and hearts about this and really, really just help this to sink in so that we can truly better understand, through these words written 2,500 years ago, better understand your work in this world. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, yes. like a week or two ago, Lauren sent me the blooper reel from these six weeks. <laughs> it, was, it was so funny. So someday, are you going to play that? I mean, it's only a few minutes long, but um, the bloopers, the out reel. Like on Sunday morning? Yeah, I think you need to. I guess I probably should. Yeah, yeah it's, it's just so a few funny. minutes. I may let a few weeks of the series go by first and then... Oh play no, the I think you will. should play it first so they can see <laughs> how much The funniest part is that there was there there's a person on staff named Cassidy and she is well, I think she's like nine, but she's older than that. <laughs> and she's tiny. Very. And so the whole time we were filming that, Patty, she was in the back on the floor behind my seat. The whole time. Because she was the one making sure everything was working right and fixed the GoPros that they needed fixing and all that kind of stuff. It was a crazy morning. So, okay. Well, here's where we are. As I said, we are at Isaiah 60. So, um, in the previous several chapters, it was about, if I were to summarize it, it was about God expanding the... group of his people, expanding the boundaries of his people and saying, you know, here's what real worship is, right? Real worship is built around justice and righteousness, not priests and sacrifice, echoing Micah, Micah 6. Now, in ch at the beginning of chapter 60, we'll begin a new big section about the redemption of Israel, about God's determination and purpose and plan to 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 bring Israel in toto <laughs> out of exile out of exile and um, and back to God as well as the larger picture which we will see of the Gentiles so I think the way to do this I'm probably going to read chapter 60 in a few big chunks and then we'll stop and talk about it um, like so much else in the Bible, if you have some understanding of the history, um, it, it makes it all much clearer. That's why I spend a lot of time talking about the history of Israel and the two kingdoms and the exiles and things because I know nobody in my life ever explained any of that to me. And until I was, you know, 50 and started coming across people like N.T. Wright and others, and so you would hear the sermons or you would hear the scriptures read and you do them at sort of one level, but you don't really get what's going on. 
what's going on here is that the Israelites, the Jews, are living in exile. They are in jail. In fact, I have a slide or two, which I may return to now and then today. So, right, I've used this, this painting before. They were forced out of Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar and marched into exile to Babylon, where they would spend anywhere from the next 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years. Some would return, some would not. But why were they there? in Babylon, in exile, in jail, in essence, because they had been faithless to God. That's the key. You know, you have keys that unlock things. If you, if you want to unlock this, what you have to do is to understand that the Israelites themselves interpreted their own troubles, their own destruction, their loss of their city, um, not in some geopolitical sense, but it, the world fell in on them because they had abandoned God. They had been faithless to God, despite the fact that their forebears centuries before had promised God that they would keep the covenant. And so they didn't. And the world fell in on them. First, in the when the Assyrians fell on the northern kingdom of Israel in 722, and that you end up with the ten lost tribes. Everybody's everybody knows that phrase. The ten lost tribes of Israel. When that's that's when that happened, 722 BC. And then 150 years later, Nebuchadnezzar falls on the city of Jerusalem and tens 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 of thousands of, of Jews are sent into exile in Babylon and the city is left a burned out wreck with the poor and the people who, who pose no threat to anyone and the uneducated they were the ones left in Jerusalem and there was no temple and there were no walls and it seemed like the end of everything. And now in Isaiah 60, God is going to bring his promises that God, that they're going to be redeemed. To redeem something is, you know, redemption is a funny word, okay? Because, because I can remember when my mom we used to go redeem S&H green stamps. That ages me. But she would have the little books, and they, she would go to the grocery store, and she'd come back with a certain number of them, and, and we would put them on the book. And when she had enough saved up, she would go get a toaster or whatever it was. So um, when you talk about redemption, which really comes out of the slave market, it's a, it's a matter of, well, who are you paying to set these people free? That, see, that's, a, that's, a, that's where it kind of breaks down a little bit. Because it doesn't work too well to ask, who, do you, who are you paying? Sometimes in Christian theology, they've said, well, God is paying the devil. No, that doesn't work. You, can't, you follow that string out a little way and you come to a big dead end. So no, that's not it. But, but redemption was such a powerful word in the ancient world because slavery was common to all cultures. And to redeem someone, to redeem someone, someone was to bring them out of slavery. 
out of out of the chains of of of, of Pharaoh. Okay, so enough intro, I think. Unless anybody has a question, I just wanted to make one little um, just thing, Linda Waldo. Um, I did see your message, dear. What has been happening on the Tuesday class and what happened last night is that there is some ESPN channel Mexico or something that every time Scott goes to go live on Facebook on, on like Tuesday, for whatever reason, they shut us down saying that we're copying their content. Of course, it is absolutely ridiculous because all Scott's doing is a Bible study. So he was having a problem yeah. today trying to get that up yeah. but maybe you're going to release it just as a podcast with no pictures i can I, I can send out the meeting okay record because i did record it like i was recording a podcast so i can send out the meeting audio it is a really bad thing that's happening to facebook right now just it's you know about junk mail and junk text we get junk phone calls spam this is junk copyright stuff i mean every tuesday and it's not even Mexico. It's TNT Sports Argentina. Oh, Argentina. <laughs> that Sorry. says I'm infringing their copyright on something. It's it's insane. It's insane. And I don't really know how to put a stop to it other than every week I have to submit a dispute about it. And then they resolve it. And, of course, they say, oh, the equivalent of, oh, I'm sorry. But, you know, it needs to get fixed at a higher level. But I am not Mark Zuckerberg. So it is possible, just heads up, that someday I may move this whole little online project over to YouTube. But anyway, that's it. So Patty will remind me to send out the the trip meeting recording because that's what we're talking about, yes, right, dear? Yes, we are. Okay. So let's go to Isaiah 60. We are really in just parts you've heard read from the pulpit and other places for much of your life. Get good the right glasses here. All right, Isaiah 60, verse 1. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of Yahweh rises upon you. This is spoken to God's people. It's time, it's time, the light, the light is appearing. Just tie this to John 1. Who's the light of the world? Jesus. Yeah, so... You know, these building connections between Isaiah and the New Testament, they, they're just going to come kind of faster and faster, right? Um, now, nobody here is thinking about Jesus. It's just everyone prefers light to darkness, particularly in the ancient world where they didn't have, you know, uh, uh, electric lights. Darkness was scary. Darkness was the time that the creepy crawlies and the bad spirits would come out. So here it is. Arise, shine for your light, you people. Your light has come and the glory of Yahweh rises upon you because their light is their God. Yahweh is their light. See, darkness covers the earth and thick darkness is over the peoples. Now, are we talking about radiant light kind of thing. No, we're talking about the fact that they live in darkness. Um, John's gospel is all about calling the people out of the darkness into the light. Um, 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, 
out of the darkness. God has called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. That's this big darkness and light metaphor. And we are, here's the, here's the key. This is the second key. For the biblical view, you are in the darkness until you step into the light. So if you just say to God, oh, I don't know if I believe there's a God. I don't know about this Jesus stuff. I'm pretty comfortable just kind of sitting right here. Can't I just sit here right here on the fence for a while? There is no fence in the biblical view. You are in the darkness until you step into the light. There's no twilight. There's no gray area there. You're in the darkness until you step into the light. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord, Yahweh, rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Like what? Like a big street light, I guess. Nations will come to your light. Jesus tells his disciples to be the light to the world. The New Testament writing is so dependent upon the, the Old Testament particularly books like Deuteronomy and Isaiah, that the Christians understood really from the beginning that they could never jettison the Hebrew Scriptures. They were an integral part of the story of Jesus and an integral part of the message that God had for the world, an integral part of, of understanding God's work in this world. So nations will come to your light, God says. Now understand, these are the Israelites. Well, who are these nations? The great empires, to name some in the ancient world, Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Greece, whatever, whoever, anywhere. The nations will come to your light because just, just as God is their light, they're to be the light to the world, just as we're to be the light to the world. Sermon on the, Sermon on the Mount. And kings will come to the brightness of your dawn. To these people who were in the geopolitical, economic structure of the world were nothing. Their big city of Jerusalem, Jerusalem was a burned out hulk. Ten of the twelve tribes was lost. The tribe of Judah was in exile, in jail, in Babylon. And God says, all of this is going to be reversed. And the kings will come to you. I was struck uh, last week when I was reading a little bit about Queen Elizabeth II. Um, you know, she was a, a devout, she was a devout Christian. She really, she really meant it. She did see herself as the defender of the faith. Could, because England has a national church you know, by, by constitution, uh, not that they have a constitution like, like ours, but by law, I guess I would say, they, they are a Christian nation. And she said that she hoped that Jesus would return in her lifetime. Why? She said, so I could lay my crown at his feet. Wow. That's sort of this line right here the kings to the brightness of your dawn lift up your eyes people and look about you all assemble and come to you your sons come from afar 
Your daughters are carried on the hip. They're Jews who have been dispersed and they're living in different places and God's people has been scattered. And so, of course, part of this is about the the ingathering of the dispersed. The sons and daughters coming home, coming back. Um, This is part of the story of modern-day Israel. Whoops, let's see, that was the wrong button to hit. Okay, how about I do it this way? Boom. Boom. That's the flag, you know, those are the flag, that's the flag of Israel with the Star of David and people on it. Because the story of the state of Israel today was all about gathering together the, quote, exiles, the Jews who hadn't been off of the land for 2,000 years and bring them back to Zion, bring them back to Israel, bring them back to, um, to, to Jerusalem. So this is the same thing here. There are Jews everywhere. And so God says, yes, we're going to bring all that back. Your sons come from afar and your daughters are carried on the hip. Verse 5, then you will look and you'll be radiant. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. The wealth on the seas will be brought to you. To you the riches of the nations will come. What enormous promises, really. To you the riches of the nations will come. Herds of camels will cover your land. Because livestock was a symbol of wealth. It was, it did represent wealth. That's why in the book of Job, he has a lot of flocks. And when he loses them, he's lost. You know at the beginning that he's wealthy because he's got all these flocks that he then loses. But herds of camels will cover your land. Young camels, the really good ones, of Midian and Ephah, and all from Sheba, where the queen of Sheba had come to admire all that Solomon had accomplished. All from Sheba will come, bearing gold and incense. Hmm. Think there's a little connection there to Matthew's story of the wise men from the east to bring gold frankincense and myrrh Mm, I think there is bearing gold and incense proclaiming the praise of Yahweh so it isn't that they just come laying wealth at the feet of these dusty Jews but they come worshiping Yahweh praising Yahweh praising the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob it's a world nobody had ever seen Who are these that fly along like clouds, like doves to their nests? Surely the islands look to me, and the lead are the ships of Tarshish, bringing your children from afar with their silver and gold to the honor of Yahweh your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Foreigners will rebuild your walls. Their kings will serve you. Though in anger I struck you, okay, that is the that is the idea that their 
exile is the punishment for their abandonment of God, that God reached out to them in his righteous anger and banished them to, to Babylon for a time, but only for a time. Though in anger I struck you in favor, I will show you compassion because God's going to bring them out of exile. And look at all these other promises being made. Your gates will always stand open. Hmm, what does that mean? Your gates will always stand up because you will have nothing to fear from anybody out there. No marauders, no enemies, no nothing. Your gates are just going to stand open. They're going to rot on the hinges because you're not going to need them. They'll never be shut day or night so that people may bring you the wealth of the nations their kings led in triumphal procession all coming in to your city, into Jerusalem, all of this wealth, just Jerusalem lifted up as the great city in all of the lands, sure. For the nation or kingdom that will not serve you will perish. It will be utterly ruined. The glory of Lebanon will come to you. A lot of forests in Lebanon, great trees in Lebanon. Yes, there were. The juniper, the fir, the cypress together to adorn my sanctuary, God's sanctuary. And I will glorify the place for my feet, my presence. Remember, because the, the sanctuary, the temple, is the place where God is present with his people, that he is in a way that he is not present with anyone else. Verse 14, the children of your oppressors will come bowing before you. All who despise you will bow down at your feet and will call you the city of Yahweh, Zion, the Holy One of Israel. So, let's just stop here for a second. These promises are coming fast. And there's so many of them. So, I want to fast forward for a minute to the time of Jesus. That's 500 years later. And I talk about this in my classes. That the Jews of Jesus' day, they could read all of this. And that they could look at their own story in those intervening 500 years. And they would surely ask themselves, well, where is God? What happened to these promises? Were these just empty words? Just empty words spoken by God to pump us up or something? What? What? Because by the time you get to Jesus' day, the latest, you know... Pagans in charge, that's Rome. And they ruled with an iron fist inside a velvet glove. But they ruled. And as I've explained before, when Jesus was about 10, they put down a tax revolt in Galilee and crucified a couple of thousand Jews, according to the historian Josephus. But where are all these promises? 
They've been waiting 100, 200, 300, 400, 500 years. It's basically about as long as from Columbus crashing his little tiny ship on that island in the Caribbean in 1492 to today. Wow. No wonder then. No wonder that there were people ready to pick up arms or do other things to try to make these promises be kept. No wonder then that the first words in Mark's gospel out of Jesus' mouth are these. The time is fulfilled. Well, what time is that? It's this time. The time is fulfilled. Finally, it's going to happen. Finally, the kingdom of God is at hand. That's the second half of that opening phrase. And then Jesus goes on. So repent and trust in this good news. Believe in this good news about what is God is doing now in and through Jesus 500 years later. But I am, you know, the Jews knew their scrolls. They could read these promises and I am sure that they... grew weary of waiting. Probably not probably not the rich ones. They were probably quite comfortable. But those who really suffered, I imagine they read them and heard them read and and just and just tired of waiting. So back to Isaiah sixty, verse fifteen. Although you have been forsaken and hated, with no one traveling through, I will make you, you people, the everlasting pride and the joy of all generations. You will drink the milk of nations, and you will be nursed at royal breasts. <laughs> then you will know that I, Yahweh, am your Savior your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. So as those centuries passed, one after the other, after the other, after the other, is God going to be their Savior? Is God going to be their Redeemer? Is God really the Mighty One of Jacob? Does God really keep the promises that God made that they could read for themselves in black and white? It's why um, <clears throat> there are those who think that Paul's letter to the Romans is basically a defense of God. Because to help people understand that in Jesus, God's promises were being kept in him, by him, through him, in him. <clears throat> because that was such a, such a big question. And... I don't know. I at I sort of get that. So verse 17. Instead of bronze, I will bring you gold and silver in place of iron. Instead of wood, I will bring you bronze and iron in place of stones. Everything's an upgrade. <laughs> right? Yeah. 
I, I, I love these, the, the, these lines right here. I will make peace your governor and well-being your ruler. No longer will violence be heard in your land, nor ruin or destruction within your borders. But you will call your walls salvation, and you will call your gates praise. The sun will no more be your light by day, nor will the brightness of the moon shine on you. For Yahweh will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun will never set again. It is um, in Revelation, in chapter 22, it says that the city, the holy city that comes down out of heaven, out of the heavens to earth, out of the place where God is to earth, doesn't have to have any artificial light because God is its light. You see, it's the same, the same idea. It's the banishment of the darkness. It's the banishment of the fears. It's the banishment of the you know, evil spirits and all the other things that go bump in the night that ancient peoples associated with with the nighttime and with the darkness because they had didn't have good practical ways to to <laughs> to live in brightness whenever they wanted to like we do right so Verse 20, your sun will never set again. Your moon will wane no more. Yahweh will be your everlasting light and your days of sorrow will end. This should sound a little bit like what? Like Revelation 21 and 22. At the end of the book of Revelation are these great visions totally coming from the Old Testament about a day when there will be no more mourning and no more crying and no more grief no more sorrow they quoted it today they one of those um british or church of england pastors was up there and he was doing that whole revelation about the, the new well let's go to revelation 21 then it's just um, go to revelation 21 verse 1 I'm sorry, Revelation. Revelation 21. I hit the wrong button verse myself. One. 21, verse 1. It's I've exactly even... where he was started from. Sure. You know? This is, yeah, this is the place. With the queen's, queen's all of the All of the names have been read. All that kind of stuff has happened. And then in 21, boom. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Phrases that we will run into from Isaiah in uh, over the next few weeks. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea, S-E-A, which means chaos. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. 
and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. You see? The connection between these Isaiah passages and um, and Revelation, they're not, they're not by accident. Mm -hmm. The writer of Revelation wants us to grasp that in Jesus, these promises have been fulfilled and shall be fulfilled. Sort of the old already and not yet. Look, in, look at the later in chapter 21. Um, verse 23 in chapter 21. The city, this, we're still talking about the holy city that, right, that came to earth. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives its light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations, all the nations of the earth, all the peoples, that would be a good word to use there, I think, will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. How much does that sound like what we just read in Isaiah 60, I ask you? So much. So much, sure. And that's what that's what we should that's what we should should be able to grasp. Um, so look back at at Isaiah sixty, verse. Let's just go to verse nineteen. I think this just shows again um, just how popular the scroll of Isaiah was during Jesus's time, right? I mean, Jesus, of course, that's the scroll he chooses to pick to right. introduce doesn't himself. Say, doesn't say he chose it. It says it was handed to him. Handed to him. Well, yeah. that could... What, so what and, and, and it became so important to the Christians. The Christians became big consumers. <laughs> that's a bad word to use, isn't it? They became big, big users of Isaiah. Isaiah is woven a lot through yes. the Christian writings of those early centuries as they strove to understand who Jesus was and what God had accomplished in and through him. So look at Isaiah 60 verse 19. The sun will no more be your the sun will no more be your light by day nor will the brightness of the moon shine on you. For Yahweh will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Revelation 21. Your sun will never set again, and your moon will wane no more. Yahweh will be your everlasting light, and your days of sorrow will end. Then all your people will be righteous, and they will possess the land forever. They are the shoot I have planted, the work of my hands, for the display of my splendor, says God. The least of you will become like a thousand, the smallest a mighty nation. 
I am Yahweh. In its time, I will do this swiftly. So in its time, all right, I will do this swiftly. 500 years after this, I would imagine people heard that swiftly in Hebrew <laughs> at the end there thought, what? Swiftly, it's been five centuries. Just like Christians get impatient, understandably. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come. And it's why the Peter is so helpful in Second Peter reminding us that, well, you know, a day for God is like a thousand years for us. We don't really know what swiftly means to God. But the promise is there. In its time, I will do this. I will do this. I will do this. And that is, that's the what? That's the Jesus Project. <laughs> that's the Jesus Project is to bring this about, to bring about the kingdom of God, to usher in the kingdom of God. And we know that because the proof of it is his resurrection. And he will one day return and bring the whole thing to its consummation so that the kingdom of God, which is partly present, partly hidden now, will be fully manifest everyone and and the keeping of these promises will be clearly there for all to see even if they don't don't see them now but we we Christians we can we can hear these and see in them the nature of Christian hope right mm -hmm. because we know that even if we are struck down by a bad disease or suffer hardships that that none that our life does not end with our death that there is a life after death and then a life after life after death and and this world will come to pass in its time Jesus in his time Jesus will return So, all right. So, Patty, anything? Anybody out there got anything? Um, nope, nobody's posting anything. My friend Tony Fahimi's online today. Hey, really? Yes. Hey, Tony. <laughs> Tony, it's good to have you here. Okay, so now we come to Isaiah 61. So I, I think we'll read a little ways into 61 and then we'll go to Luke chapter 4. Okay? So let's just go into 61 and start there. So this now is a little, little break here. Okay? Because now we're going to talk about the one God's, what? God's agent, God's envoy, God's Messiah the one through whom 
God is going to accomplish this. 61 1. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord, the Spirit of our Sovereign Yahweh, is on me. <coughs> because Yahweh has anointed me. See, kings were anointed. That, that's, a, that's another little key to all of this. Messiah means, Messiah is a royal term. And kings were anointed. Prophets were, some prophets were also, but kings were anointed. Messiah is a royal term. It means, it's simply, Messiah in Hebrew is Mashiach. It simply means the anointed one. That's all Messiah means, the anointed one. Because Yahweh has anointed me. To do what? Well, to proclaim good news to the poor. Right? To turn the world upside down. To proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. To proclaim freedom for the captives. Now, who do you think those captives are? And release from darkness for the prisoners. Who do you think those prisoners are? To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion but, and to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of murmuring, mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. So let's go now to Luke chapter 4. Okay, to Luke chapter 4. And I've got to remember how to do this on this iPad I'm reading from. Okay, like 4.16. Not like 4.16, I actually remember that. It's 4.16, four, well, I'm going to start at 4.14, so of there you go. Of course you are. I got, I got bold for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this is in the chapter of Luke. I mean, the book of Luke, fourth chapter, um, Jesus is about to return to Nazareth, and everything is about to change for him. Verse 14, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. And then he went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, which means what? They all knew this little kid. They all knew this little kid. Somebody changed his diapers. Somebody picked up after him. Somebody taught him this, taught him that. He's one of the kids running around with all the other kids. Where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, of course, that would be the Saturday, he did the usual thing. He went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He was a righteous Jew. And he stood up to read. Because Jewish men would rise to read from the scrolls that the uh, synagogue had. And most synagogues, would, if they had any means at all, would have a scroll of Isaiah. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. See, so it doesn't really tell us that he asked for it. It just says that it was handed to him. Maybe he did. 
Maybe he didn't. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. Okay. So he had to do a lot of unrolling there, too. Yeah, and, and notice <laughs> this scroll. That is not the scroll of Isaiah. The no. scroll of Isaiah is enormous. It's so it would have to be laid down in front of him. But they, this was this was what they had spent, their whole lives were spent in these scrolls. And he, he unrolling, he found the place, might have taken a little bit of time, as Patty said, where it is written, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. So where is he? Isaiah 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, in actuality, that's a little bit of a mishmash of a few places in Isaiah, so Jesus may be... He probably knows by heart exactly what he is going to say, but, but, but you get you get the idea that the 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 person that um, is spoken of in Isaiah sixty one, Jesus is about to claim that for himself, because verse twenty, still in Luke four, then he rolled up the scroll, and he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. second surpassing maybe a minute or two and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him and he began by saying to them today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? And then he goes on to say to them, well, you know, it isn't going to go well here. Verse 23, Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself, and you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we have heard you did in Capernaum, and truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. And tells them a story about Elijah where he wasn't, and all the people where he Elijah had gone to minister to Gentiles, others. All the people of the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They, in verse 29, they got up, drove him out of town, and took him to the brow of the hill because they were going to throw him off it. That hill is there outside Nazareth today. But the point is that it's Isaiah 61 that Jesus chooses to read from because it is an announcement that he is the capital O one. He is God's Messiah, God's envoy, God's agent. You could pick different words, I think, but he will be the one through whom God will work to bring these promises to pass. So go back to Isaiah 61, and we'll look at it one more time, and then we will talk about a couple th things from it. Let's see, Isaiah 61. 
So Isaiah 61, 1, the spirit of the sovereign, Yahweh, is on me because Yahweh has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, right? The brokenhearted. To proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. And who are those? You see, that's Israel. They're the ones who have been in jail. Oh, I know that they got out of Babylon centuries before, but they've been under like house arrest. Have they had a king like David? Have they truly had a rightful king as they were promised, as God had promised David they would have? The answer is no, even the Maccabees were not from the land of David, and they proved to be a big disappointment. And now they're under the stinking boot of the, of the Romans. So, they are the captives, and they are the prisoners. And here's a twist to think about, another layer, I guess. If you were in, if you were in jail for something, and the, door, the doors of the jail were thrown up open and you were told to go, what would you say? I've served my time. I've served my punishment. I have even my sins have been forgiven. These, these are big moments in the story of Israel and in the story of God's working through Israel and then for the rest of the world. So to go back to Isaiah 61, verse 2, to proclaim the year of Yahweh's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion. There's been a lot of death. Just think, just think, just imagine you were Jesus. You're 10 years old. You're growing up in Galilee pretty nice place and then there's a tax revolt and it isn't long before crucified people numbering 2,000 appear along the roadsides in Galilee it's not just one horror or 10 horrors but 2,000 horrors a lot of grieving in Zion and provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. If you've waited five centuries for God to do something, you, well, you won't have because we don't live that long, but <laughs> you know that you and your ancestors have been waiting five centuries for God to do something, it's understandable that you would have a spirit of despair because for the Jews, they don't have the full, they can't look to something like the resurrection of Jesus to fill themselves up with hope. They don't have the full, they haven't seen the full depth and width and height of God's work in this world 
to put things right. Because that only becomes visible and comes to its climax and comes to its fruition in Jesus. But nonetheless, they will be called oaks of righteousness. Right? Oaks are strong trees. A planting of Yahweh for the display of his splendor. Where are you, hon? I'm sorry. I'm back at Isaiah 61. I'm in verse 3. Did I skip over the going back part? You're okay. I might have. So we're back in Isaiah 61. See, these two passages are so close together, they, they obviously diverge because it's just a few snippets of things in Luke 4. I just get too wound up sometimes, don't I, Patty? And it's a good way, though. <laughs> really. Okay, so he's talking in Isaiah 61, verse 3. Right, it's to the to to the Israelites, to the Jews, about exchanging their ashes for a crown of beauty, and their mourning for a oil of joy, and their despair for praise. And my point was that those Jews don't think that they know what we know; they haven't seen the full glory of God worked out in the life and death and resurrection this of Jesus. Okay? So we're back in Isaiah 61 and God's just lifting them up saying this is going to happen. This is going to happen. They will rebuild in verse 4, they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. You will be called priests of Yahweh. You will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations, and in their riches you will boast. Remember, we go, go back, oh my gosh, how many chapters now? How many weeks ago now? When I was saying that part of what's happening in these chapters of Isaiah is God trying to get the people to be willing to leave Babylon and go back home. They would like to see your face, honey, instead of... Oh, yep, yep. I don't know, that's Jesus. I, but, but it's not. <laughs> <laughs> if it How about was, this? They would, uh, Gotta, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, I forgot to go back. See, <laughs> can we go back to Scott? Sure, here I am. <laughs> so, um... God's trying to persuade men. Back in chapters like uh, 54, 55, 56, God's trying to persuade them to be willing to leave their homes, which they've been in for a while, decades, and make the trek back to the burned-out hulk of Jerusalem. Yeah, so that's, that's probably a layer of this as well. Verse 7. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion of what? Of forgiveness, of wealth. And instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land, and everlasting joy will be yours. For I, Yahweh, love justice. 
Remember, I think I had a slide from a previous week. Justice is really nothing more than the habit of doing right by others and building and sustaining right relationships with others and in the community. That's what justice is. It is an inherently social word. There's no, there's no justice when we're speaking of an isolated single person. Social justice is, redu is redundant. All justice is social. And Yahweh, this relational God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, who is love and who desires us to love God and to love others, he loves justice because justice is a word that sums up the relationships in a community being right. And, okay? I hate robbery, God says. I hate wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people Yahweh has blessed. Brings to mind the early Christians. I don't know how you think Christianity spread. You know, Islam spread at the end of a sword. There were, there were these armies, these wars of conquering by various Muslim leaders and generals over a century or so, during which they gained control of North Africa and part of Spain and upward around in the Holy Land and into uh, modern-day Turkey, but it was always through fighting. That's, Christianity did not spread that way. For the first 300 years, Christianity spread because people saw in the Christians something that they wanted for themselves, lives that they wanted to lead. There would really be no other explanation for it. The Holy Spirit led the, opened the eyes of these people so that they could see that the things that they dreamed of for themselves and their children, they could see in the Christians. For the Christians would sit at the bedsides of strangers who were sick. Even if it meant that they exposed themselves to the disease and even if it meant they died. There are stories from those first centuries about the Christians doing exactly that. And it's, it's how it spread. And so, here in verse 9, all who see them will acknowledge that they are a people Yahweh has blessed. That's what God wanted from the Jews. He wanted from the early Christians. He wants from you and me. To go to Paul, we were just talking about this on last Tuesday in my Paul class on 1 Corinthians. Right? Paul wanted basically two things from these communities of believers that, he's, that he created, these house churches. Do what is a good witness to Jesus and do what builds up the church. Do what is a good witness to Jesus. Live your lives in a way that will bring honor to Jesus and help people open their ears and hear the good news. The work of the Holy Spirit is 
is is is so often a cooperative work. And so Paul would say, do what is a good witness to Jesus and do what builds up the church and avoid doing things that's a bad witness to Jesus. Or we're not, they're not going to listen to us. And don't do things that tear down the church. Or we're going to get nowhere with this, with this Jesus project. So, verse 10, Isaiah 61. I delight greatly in the Lord. This is, this is the prophet coming back. Now remember, it's, it's a little hard. The, the notes at the bottom of your Bible, or sometimes the way the translators can do it, will help us see when God is speaking and when the prophet's speaking. Well, here, I delight greatly in Yahweh. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. It's a bit like my mind goes to the end of Ephesians where Paul writes about putting on the belt of truth and the helmet of salvation. Not that I have these necessarily correct, or not memorize that, but these garments are, that are symbolic of, of righteousness and, and strength and truth and the rest. He has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. Verse 11. For as the soil makes sprout come up and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign, our sovereign, our Lord, Yahweh, will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations because that is what God is interested in. If somebody were to give you a test sometime, and say, well, what kind of things does God really want from us? Well, righteousness, justice. Think you could, you could use Micah six eight. Love mercy, do justice, walk humbly with your God. You could come here. Righteousness, justice. Um, we we tend to create so much other stuff around it that it can make it hard. For us, as it was hard for the Jews two thousand years ago, to really, to really hear God well about what God really, really wants from us, and thus desires for us. So, okay. So when we come back next week, we're going to pick up in chapter sixty-two, and. Um, I invite you to go back to Luke this week and read read through. You could read all of Luke 4. You could go to Revelation, read Revelation 21 and 22, because in Isaiah 65, we will come to the new heavens and the new earth portion. Um, and so things are kind of building in, in that direction. So do you have anything else today, Patty? I do not, Scott. You do not. I do not. Don't have anything else today. Okay.
So do you remember this is where you come around then? Because I think I'm finished. I do. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would have forgotten. Then I'm going to have to remember how to post this thing and make a podcast and all that stuff. Ew. Two weeks away, I'm telling you right now, it just all goes out of my Oops. mind. Are we here soon? There we go. All right. How about this? That's good. I'll lean over this way. We'll move this a little bit more. Wow. There we are. There we are. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Um, it was good, though. It's a good class. It's again. just, these are just great portions of it's, them. Um, and you hear them read so much, but it's so much better if you can put a little context around it. Lots of connecting the dots. Yep. That's it. it. If you would join with me um, as we close in prayer for today, and we hope that some of you will join us tomorrow, um, either up at St. Andrew in person down in right Piro Hall Piro Hall at 12 o'clock 12 o'clock first Corinthians <laughs> either or this exact same place here online Heavenly Father we thank you so much for this day we thank you God for how much you love us and how much you care about us and um, actually how important we are to you we ask you Lord to continue to watch over this group we are grateful God that we have been together for such a very long time um, some weeks were a little stronger than others but that's that's just the way it is but we are um, connected God we're connected all of us in our faith and on this faith journey God to know you better we pray Lord that you would keep us safe we pray God that you would watch over us and keep us healthy and we pray God that you would help us with your wisdom and your discernment to help us make good choices, God, every day in the lives that we lead. All this we lift up to you when we pray in the great and glorious name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, everybody. Bye, Adios everybody. on this Monday. See you soon. See you soon. Bye-bye.